This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of Gen Z Money. This week, we are continuing on our first home buyers mini series. You guys have been loving this so far. So I thought I'd get John back on the show this week to talk about what to expect in the first home buying process, starting from making an offer, engaging with a conveyancer, going through settlement, all of those things we've broken down into a really simple, easy to understand process. So I hope you guys love this week's episode. If you have any further suggestions for anything you'd like to hear on buying your first home, make sure you reach out to us on Instagram and we'll be more than happy to chat about that. But let's get into the episode. Hi, John. Thanks so much for joining us again this week. My pleasure, Azaria. Good to be here. So this week we are talking about what to expect in the house buying process. Now, this is going to be completely new to me. I've never bought a property before um, and from what I've heard, there are a lot of steps to it and a lot of terms that might not make sense to someone who hasn't been through it. Um, So I thought we'd just jump right into it. You mentioned before, John, that obviously you've helped a lot of people in their journeys of buying their first property. Do you have a case study that you could use as a bit of an example for us to know what to expect? Yeah, I sure do. I might even use you as an example. How about that? You're buying your first home soon. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) I suppose um, let's start at the beginning when I work through with clients in buying their own property. The first question they'd ask is, how do I go about getting finance? Essentially, we're not going to be paying 100% cash to buy our property like we do for shares maybe. So we need to get a loan from the bank. So to make it really simple for for everyone listening, you, you might not know what you're going to spend yet because you don't know what the mm. banks will lend you, but you would know how much cash you've got in the bank as a deposit. Um, the, the banks will look at your serviceability, which is your ability to repay the loans um, through your income and, and your expenses in your life. So if you've got any bad debts, I call them crappy debts, you, um, <laughs> you, you don't look that favourable to the banks. Uh, if your income, the higher the income, obviously the higher the serviceability and the more appealing you are to the banks um, and, and also the consistency of that income. So they look at the serviceability and they also look at what's called the buying power, which is your cash deposit available. Um, and in some case, you can use equity, but for your first property, you won't have equity in your property or any property. So mm-hmm. uh, we're using cash as an example today. So combine those two things together, serviceability and buying power, um, the bank will say or banks will say, this is how much we're going to lend to Azaria. Right. Now they might come back and say, we'll lend you 300000 You might have a deposit of say um, 60000 That means you can go and spend 360000 Now stamp duty and also associated costs we'll just leave out for the moment. It's really critical that you've got a a great mortgage broker in your corner, I believe, um, that can work on your behalf, that'll look across 20, 25, maybe even more lenders out there in the in um, the, the finance space. Now, the, the days of going and sitting down and having a cup of tea with the bank manager are, are probably long gone like my parents used to. Um, yep. It's really looking across all lenders to be competitive um, with you, with the offerings because your servicing check with each bank does 
um, vary greatly. You, you, in your case, you might have someone that'll lend you three hundred thousand. Another bank might only lend you two hundred and fifty thousand because of their mm. policies and procedures and the industry you're in and a whole bunch of reasons. Absolutely. And if I'm speaking to a mortgage broker and um, they're checking out all the different loans available to me, do mortgage brokers charge a fee for that service? Yeah, really common question. That's the great thing about using a mortgage broker is it doesn't cost you anything or it shouldn't cost you anything. If, If there's a mortgage broker charging you for their service, they may not be the right fit for you. But essentially speaking, they... They're paid by the bank that you ultimately end up um, lending money through, right? And then it's mm-hmm. called a, a commission. There'll be an upfront and also a trail commission paid to them. Now, that commission amount is pretty standard across the industry, regardless of which lender you use, and and, and it doesn't really vary from broker to broker. So, it's, it's a pretty much a blanket amount. So, it's fair and equitable for everyone. And, uh, and, and they wouldn't go and choose a particular lender based on how much commission they're getting because it's going to be pretty similar. So you found the bank or the lender that you're going to go with. What do people mean when you hear them say pre-approval? Yeah, so that's really the next step. So you've, you've got a mortgage broker to shortlist the, the lending options available to you and they might come back to you and say, we've got three... Uh, lenders that we think are suitable for your situation and now let's go and uh, and choose one of them to get what's called a pre-approval. Now, there's, um, there's two types of pre-approval. There's, uh, I think, a pre-approval that means absolutely nothing and there's a, a pre-approval <laughs> that's, the, that's the real deal. Now, let's talk about the first one for a moment. In busy times, um, and, and you'd argue that this is a busy time for banks and lenders because yep. everyone's buying houses and the housing markets in, in general are going pretty well. Um, they might give you a, a, a 24-hour pre-approval, says, yep, you can, you can lend money off us, uh, but they really haven't done the full checks and balances. They haven't really looked at your assets and liabilities. They haven't looked at your pay slips. They, they, um, they haven't gone into detail for your situation. So they've given you just a um, um, airy fairy pre-approval. Uh, you might think that yeah, you've got a pre-approval. Great, I can go and bid at auction. Um, but the the facts are, if you um, if you pull the trigger on that, then they'd need to do a thorough check for you, right? So I don't really like those ones. They they mean not much at all. The, the second option is a full pre-approval where they will look at your pay slips, they'll do a financial assessment, they'll, they'll give you a full written letter to say, we give you um, conditional pre-approval, which means it's conditional uh, to certain items. Now, that usually means um, viewing a contract of sale for a potential purchase, and it also means subject to the valuation of that purchase that you're about to make. So they're the two main things that they would like to see. They may also just also get um, get your latest pay slips as well if it's been a little while since they gave you that pre-approval in the first place. But yeah, extremely important, I believe, to get a pre-approval, but um, a, a thorough pre-approval that the bank has, has done on you. 
Perfect. And before you mentioned, this is kind of unrelated, but you mentioned consistency of income and the banks looking at pay slips. If you're self-employed, is there anything in particular you should do in preparation for buying a house to make sure that you are as attractive as possible to the banks? Yeah, the self-employed space is an interesting one and I've been living in it for for good 20 years now. <laughs> um, it's this, it's the dance of, of showing enough income from your business to get a loan um, but also maximising your position as a as a business owner. So it's a really interesting um, shuffle around. So generally speaking, because you're running your own business self-employed, you can claim a lot of the running costs of the business that you wouldn't normally do as an employee with payslips. So generally speaking, you need to turn over a higher amount um, to be able to show your your wages or your pay slips um, through your business. So it's a little bit more of a complicated process if you are self-employed. Generally, they will want or banks will want um, two years of financials, so two years of mm-hmm. tax returns. Uh, but there are a few lenders out there at the moment that will give you loans self-employed on only 12 months of financials, as long as those 12 months uh, look pretty good on paper. Awesome. So let's say I've got pre-approval from the bank. I know how much I'm uh, able to borrow and I've found the house that I really want to buy. What are the next steps now? How do I actually make an offer and how do I tackle what I imagine is a mountain of paperwork? Yeah, it's quite a stressful time for someone first time round. And, and when we're taking someone through that process, we're, we're ticking a lot of boxes that we would behind the scenes before we get to this stage in terms of goals and and habits and mindset and cash flow management and all those sort of things that we really appreciate in life um, that we should always have um, buffers in our life as well is is a really important one. But let's say we've done all that and we've fast-tracked and we've got ourselves a pre-approval. You've said to yourself, right, uh, I can go and buy something for three hundred fifty thousand. Um, you know your location, you know your type of property, and you you know that you're going to live in it maybe, or you're going to rent it out. Either way, you've you've done your your numbers on that. Um, so, you the traditional step is you look on realestate.com and go to open homes and and talk to agents and um, yeah, do all those things and get to the stage where, look, I like this property. It's listed for 360000 um, I'm going to put in an offer for 350000 as an example. Um, yep. So in lead up to that, you would get, you would request a contract of sale um, and you would also engage a conveyancer, which is sort of like a solicitor that will look over your contracts on your behalf and make sure that that contract is, um, you, you understand what's in it, first of all, and, and two, there's nothing that's untoward for you as a purchaser. Um, so you get a contract of sale and then you will submit an offer to purchase that property. Now, in most states of Australia and with most agents, they'll definitely want that offer in writing. So I I just look at it as an um, email to the agent. So it, it doesn't need to be that fancy. Well, I've got a template that I use with, with clients, but essentially you're, you're stating the address of the property, uh, the, the price that you're willing to pay for that property and any conditions that you want to put on that 
um, offer. So the offer doesn't mean you, you're bound to buying that property. It's just simply an offer to say, yeah, I'll buy that property um, upon these conditions. And if the vendor accepts um, th- that offer, then great, we can move to the ne- next stage. And what kind of conditions might you be asking for? Yeah, so the the biggest or the most common condition is definitely having a finance clause in there to say, well, this this offer is subject to finance uh, or, or, or satisfactory finance approval, however you want to word it. So that means, that, again, we've got that pre-approval. There's still conditional approval based on the valuation of the property and the satisfactory contract. So that's what you're uh, waiting for until you actually fully commit to the purchase of this property. Um, being an existing property, you want to get what's called a building and pest inspection. So there's some, uh, there's an expert in that space looking over the building and making sure the foundations are solid and there's um, it's not going to fall down in the next two weeks and and there's no termites in the in the property that's also going to eat your home away so essentially they're doing a, a thorough report that will will show you the condition of the property um, now in my experience you look at a, a property that's maybe built in 1960 or 1970 it's it's going to have some type of defects, I suppose. It's not going to be brand new, is it? So there are going to be things that little minor issues, but I suppose we're looking at the major issues that uh, potentially can cost us big dollars down the track at some stage. Perfect. And you mentioned a conveyancer before. How do you find a conveyancer and what do they cost? I talk a lot about having a team of professionals in your corner and and a conveyancer is definitely one of these um, for when you're looking over contracts or, or want a contract looked over um, they need to be registered in the state that you're buying in so a lot of it is word of mouth um, you, you might know someone who's bought in your area that's used a conveyancer and had a good result um, mm. it can be google reviews or or, or anything similar to that uh, depending on the state you're in, you might be paying anywhere between maybe a thousand and two thousand dollars. So you'd factor that into your costings. Okay, great. So we've put in an offer. Things have gone very smoothly, thank goodness, and it's been accepted. What's the next steps from there? Yeah. So in that, just go back slightly. In in that offer, you might also say that you would have a, a, a cooling off period or like a seven-day or 10-day cooling-off period, again, just to get the building and pest uh, inspection completed and, and the valuation done and, and finance approval. So cooling-off period basically means that you can change your mind if you decide that you want to go live in a treehouse instead. That's right. You've changed your <laughs> mind. Something's come up that you're not happy with or you've got um, cold feet or, yeah, something's gone um, that you're not yep. comfortable with. Um, now... I suppose the risk of having a cooling off period is in a lot of states of Australia, someone else can come in and buy that property in the meantime during that mm. cooling off period. Hang on, got Corellas running by. <laughs> I can hear them. <laughs> wow. Can you hear those things? Yeah. Yeah, so you'd have a cooling off period and then you would also have it subject to some t- type of settlement. Now, a, a common time frame for settlement is 42 days. 
Um, I have seen settlement periods 28 days as a, as a minimum, but mm-hmm. in, in, again, in these times, it's basically saying, well, the banks have got to, got to get themselves in order to be able to get you the money and hand you the money within that 28-day period, which puts a lot of pressure. It might seem a long time, but it does put a lot of pressure on. So, I yeah, you, you might be 42 days as a common settlement period or what the vendor is after. The vendor might want a shorter settlement or they might want a longer settlement based on their situation. So, yeah, it's a bit of negotiation with the, with the owner and talking to the agent about why the vendor is selling and, and what, what the vendor... Uh, is appealed to. And in that settlement period, unlike the cooling off period, is it correct that someone else can't then go and put in an offer to buy that house? At that point, it's pretty much locked in to be yours? Yeah, so we call that unconditional. So once that cooling off period ends, you're basically going unconditional and you're putting, you're giving them a deposit, which is non-refundable. So you, you can pull out of that, but you're going to lose your deposit. Uh, which is not really the ideal. Um, but yeah, once you're unconditional, that's right. No one can, can buy that property um, in, instead of you. And then when it comes to actually paying the deposit, how does that work? Do you transfer the money directly to the buyer? Do you write out a contract? What's the logistics around actually paying that deposit? Yeah, this is where your conveyance is really critical is they will liaise with, with the vendor's conveyancer um, and, and just for clarity, the vendor is the person that owns the property, um, for those mm-hmm. who haven't heard that term before. So the two conveyances will talk to each other. Um, they'll, they'll have a trust account that you would uh, deposit your money into and, and that will sit there until uh, settlement and whether that's the 42 days and when, when the 42nd day is up, uh, the two conveyances will talk and that the banks have given money and there's a basically an, what we call an exchange where you essentially are the new owner of that property on that exchange date. So before we go any further, at what stage would I be considering taking out uh, building insurance on the home? Yeah, good question. So in, in the lead up to that settlement period um, or, or exchange of contract, you basically uh getting your insurances in order. So you're talking to uh, insurance, well, whether you use an insurance broker or you just simply go to individual insurance companies, you're you're getting quotes on um, getting the building covered. So in the event of fire or or, or something happening to that building um, for, for an agreed value. And you're also getting if you're a investor and you're going to rent that out, you would also get your landlord's insurance, which covers for rent default or malicious damage by the tenant or, or anything like that. Maybe even loss of rent. Yeah. So by the Perfect. time, yeah, by the time you've exchanged on that 42nd day, you've got the insurances in order, and the bank won't actually lend you the money until you can show them that you've got building insurance because they want to know that their money is protected as well. Awesome. So we're in settlement period now. What marks the end of the settlement period and what's the next step from there? Yeah, so if we use that 42 days as an example, uh, once the property has settled on that 42 days, um, it's basically you, you become the owner. Uh, there's, there's some downtime 
through those uh, through that 42 days where you've base you've done personally what what you can do it's all in the bank's hands and the conveyances hands and um, in the lead up maybe three or four days out from that 42 day um, date they'll they'll have a payout figure that the banks will have released the funds the conveyance will have um, both spoken to, to each other and said, right, we're going to, this is going to exchange at two o'clock on the 42nd day. And yeah, you you really don't have anything to do with it other than the fact that the conveyance will ring you and say, Azaria, you're the, the new owner of this beautiful home. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify, this may be a silly question, but for anyone out there who's wondering, the bank transfers that money directly to the owner. Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's correct, and that that's all done uh, personally by the the conveyancer. As as I said, they're both talking to each other, vendor's side and and your side as the purchaser, to ensure that the banks are on the same page and the money's going where it should be, and and you've paid the required deposit. So, in lead up to that, you might have put down a five percent deposit as a commitment um, that mm-hmm. became non refundable. Um, you might be lending 80% from the from the lender, so you might have to still contribute the other 15% that you haven't put down yet. So you'd have that also in the bank account ready to transfer across uh, on that 42nd day. Perfect. So settlement's happened. The house is now mine. I've picked up the keys. I can go and live in it now. Um, how soon do the mortgage repayments start kicking in? Yeah, good question. It, it really depends on the day that, what, what day of the month and, and how the mortgage is set up, but essentially it's due each month or each fortnight depending on what you choose uh, with that lender or what your mortgage broker's recommended. But yeah, whether it be in, a, in, in 14 days time or a month's time, that's when your first payment will be due. Awesome. Well, I think that answered all of my questions um, in regards to the house buying process. So thank you so much, John, for coming on today. No worries, Azara. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it may sound like a daunting process for someone listening, having not gone through it for the first time. Um, but I can assure you, if you've got really good people in your corner, and, and I do talk about this a lot, is that team of professionals, that mortgage broker that's... that's um, a, a guiding light for you and explaining things the way they need to be explained and a conveyancer that is is doing the same, it really does make your life a lot easier and, and hopefully less stressful than it needs to be. For sure. And if anyone's listening today and this might be their first time hearing you, John, um, where can they hear more of your wisdom? Look, uh, I run a podcast called My Millennial Property which is part of the, obviously, the My Millennial family. So, yeah, that's where you'll hear me most um, on the main podcast, My Millennial Money, as well, occasionally. And, yeah, we've got a whole heap of um, videos, tools, and and, and a library of, of information on our website, solveairwealth.com.au, as well. Perfect. So we'll have all of that in the links for anyone listening. Um, but until next time, thanks so much, John. Thanks, Azaria. Thanks for having me on. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.